Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Epistle to Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Please join me in a prayer of illumination. Father, as we read your scripture this morning, we pray that you help us to see wonderful things in your word. Give us your ears to hear your voice, and may the Spirit guide us to all understanding. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, through the body, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This may come as a shock to you, but one of the best basketball players that I've ever seen is not a man. It's actually a woman, a woman by the name of Maya Moore who attended the University of Connecticut, and she was already from high school being compared to the Michael Jordan of basketball. And after graduating from the University of Connecticut, she went on to great fame and stature as um, a representative of the Olympic team and won several gold medals, played on the Minnesota Lynx, and won two championships there. And so you can just imagine when in 2019, when she's at the pinnacle of her career, she shocked the sports world and announced that she was stepping away from her basketball career to help fight for a man by the name of Jonathan Irons. And not too many people know the story, 
But this man who at the age of 16 years old was found guilty of burglary and of assault and he was sentenced to 50 years in jail at the age of 16 years old. And we now know that it was for a crime he did not commit. Jonathan spent 23 years of a 50-year sentence in jail before being set free. Imagine that. What would you do if you were wrongly incarcerated for 23 years of your life? Well, last Wednesday, last Wednesday, Maya's efforts came to fruition when Mr. Irons was finally released from the Jefferson City Correctional Center in Missouri. After his conviction was overturned in March, Jonathan Irons, who of course is now 40 years old, officially became a free man on Wednesday, last Wednesday. And Maya Moore was there to capture his emotional exit. And when he was asked how he felt, Jonathan said, I feel like I can live life now. I'm free, I'm blessed, and I just want to live my life worthy of God's help and influence. And I thank everybody who supported me, including Maya and her family. Now I mentioned that story not because I have a passion for basketball, I mentioned that story because it richly applies to the Word of God that was just read to us from Romans 8. And you'll notice Paul's opening words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a declaration of freedom. Those two words, no condemnation, tell us our position as Christians. To be not condemned is a legal term. It means to be free from any debt or penalty. No one has any charges against us. A person who is in Christ, in Christ Jesus, is not under any condemnation from God. So again, this means God has nothing against us. God finds no fault in us. No condemnation means God finds nothing to punish you for. There is no condemnation. And it's not that we have moved out from under it for a while and then it returns. It doesn't exist. And like Mr. Irons, he is totally and completely exonerated from the charges of the past, the present, and even into the future. This man is free. But where the analogy breaks down is that in the eyes of the laws of this country, Jonathan Irons was, not, was truly not guilty. He did not commit the crime. He lost 23 years of his life living in a six by eight prison cell for a crime that he didn't do. And thankfully the evidence, the forensic evidence exonerated him. But not so for us. We were, we are guilty. And if we just stay in the book of Romans from chapters one through seven, Paul shows over and over again that we have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Paul even says, as we talked about it last week, that sin is part of our nature. And we find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do. And the good things we know we should do, we don't do it. 
So, in light of this great news, no condemnation, let's ask ourselves these two questions before we come to the end of our time. And these two questions essentially form the backbone of what I want to say to you. These two questions are really important questions. How did God do it? Why did God do it? And if you look at verses 3 and 4, you'll notice the answer to the first question, how did God do it? And notice what the Bible says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, God condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. How did God do it? The answer is God sent his son. God sent the Messiah. And the Messiah and the Holy Spirit have initiated a redemptive work to emancipate believers from the realm that sin and death once occupied. So first, Jesus, our Messiah, took on human flesh. We talk about that at Christmas, don't we? He became human. That's what it means when the scripture says God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And you say, well, what is sinful flesh? Sinful flesh refers to the moral weakness of the human condition. Our weakened, sinful, moral condition is no match for the high and the holy demands of God's law. We needed help. So Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Lamb of God, freely offered his life as an offering for sin. And through his death, And through his resurrection, through his death on the cross, Jesus, our Messiah, defeated sin. Paul in Colossians says, the offenses against us were nailed to the cross. Jesus paid the debt that was over us. And you should be shouting hallelujah. You should be shouting glory. You should be shouting thank you, Jesus. Well, if you can't shout it, at least text it. But here's a second thought. Jesus didn't just defeat sin. He wiped it out from our lives. And in doing that, Paul says, so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So again, what we couldn't do, which is to live a consistently holy and just life, Christ did for us. Christ did for us what we couldn't do. He lived a perfect life of obedience He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And this explains why Paul has this love affair with the phrase, in Christ. In fact, there's a wonderful song that I love to sing, you love to sing, if you know it. It's called, In Christ Alone. To be in Christ is critical to becoming a Christian. You don't become a Christian by being in a church, by being in a small group. You become a Christian by being in Christ. So think, of it, think about it this way. I got a call from a friend of mine on Monday, and he said to me, Ray, I want you to join me next month at my country club to play golf. So I love to play golf. Um, I'm not a great golfer. I don't have a membership at a country club, and for many, many reasons, I never will. So imagine if I showed up at the club uninvited to enjoy the benefits of the club. What would happen? 
I would not be given access. I would be denied, I'd be turned away. They would say, you know, you, you've got the wrong address. Uh, sorry, you can't come in. But I guarantee you when I walk into the club next month with my friend and someone says, sir, may I help you? What I will do, I'll look back at my friend and what my friend will say, it's okay, he's with me. And at least for that day, I will have the freedom I will have the joy, I will have access to enjoy all the benefits of this, this country club. Imagine in a much greater, grander, bigger way, our Messiah gives us access to his life, his power, his kingdom, his club. And this is not a pass for a day. This is not a pass for a month. Jesus Messiah gives us membership in his club in quotation marks, for life. And everything we need to live and enjoy life in Jesus' kingdom is ours for eternity. I know, it's wild. No club fees, no dues. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. He gives us access through his perfect and obedient life. And so the question I must ask you is this. Are you in Christ? Are you with Christ. That's the only way to enter. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except in and through our Messiah. So we've got to ask another question. What's the role of the Spirit in freeing us from condemnation? Because Paul mentions how God used sending the Messiah and the Spirit to free us. So what's the role of the Spirit? Well, the great pastor and preacher John Stott explained it this way. We are free from the law as a way of acceptance, but, but, but obliged to keep it as a way of holiness. It is as a ground of justification that the law no longer binds us. But as a standard of conduct, the law is still binding, and we seek to fulfill it as we walk according to the Holy Spirit. So here are, the, here are these words. And I want you to hear these words, and I want you to guess where in the Bible they come from. So all you Bible scholars out there, don't cheat. Don't check your phone. Don't open the Bible. It's all there in your mind. And when I read it, I want you to text where it's from. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Okay, Bible scholars, where do these words come from? First of all, let's just find the country that they're in. Are they in the country of the Old Testament? or the New Testament, and if you guessed New Testament, uh, you're wrong. So I've kind of given it to you away, away, away already. It's in the Old Testament, and I'm even going to tell you where it's from. It is from the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 through 28. So even in the days of Elijah, over 2,620 years ago, people were struggling to embrace the law, 
to love God's law, to practice the righteous requirements of God's law. 2,600 years ago, the law was crushing people as it is today. And so what God did then and what God is still doing now is that God promised through the prophet Ezekiel that a day would come when God would fill his people with the Holy Spirit and God would give to his people a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit and God would take away the stony heart and give them a tender, responsive, obedient heart and God says, I'm going to put my spirit within you and I'm going to make you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll have the power to follow and do my will. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And Michael Gorman, in his book, Becoming the Gospel, says that the central theme of Romans is theosis. Theosis, and that's a word we don't walk around using, but it simply means becoming like God by participating in the life of God. And here's what he says, Christ became what we are. Adam. The Hebrew word Adam means man. Christ became what we are, Adam, in order that we might share in what he is, namely the true image of God. Christ became like human beings so that we would become like him. Christ becomes what we are, that we through his death might become what he is. And this view is consistent As you go to the very beginning of scripture and read the creation story that when God created the Adam, God blew into the Adam the breath of life, the spirit of God and the Adam became a living soul. But you know the rest of the story that because of human rebellion, sin placed serious restrictions on our capacity to breathe and live in the spirit And then you go to Acts chapter 2, and God reversed sin's curse, and God poured out his spirit upon the church so that God's people can breathe and live and move and fellowship and do great wonders in the name of God and for the glory of God because of the spirit of God. Notice what Paul says in verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, you're in the spirit, That same spirit at creation, that same spirit at Pentecost, you are in the spirit since the spirit of God dwells where? It dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so through Jesus our Messiah giving life, his life for us, and the spirit of God indwelling us, we're made new. And the goal of the new life, the goal of the free life is to live this God-saturated, as the old-timers would say, this God-besotted life. So let's close with the final question then. What are the obligations of freedom? Now imagine what Mr. Irons is doing right now. He is overcome with gratitude. It's been a week since he's been set free after several years of incarceration. He's overcome with gratitude. He wants to live the rest of his life in gratitude to Maya, Moore, and others for securing his freedom. And we would be so shocked, we would be so dismayed if we heard that Mr. Irons, upon being freed from jail, promptly went back or went into a life of crime and is now back in jail for the rest of his life. You see, what happens is freedom cultivates gratitude and the desire to expand the borders of one's life. 
When you're in an airport, you can always tell the difference between those who have a confirmed ticket and those who are on standby. The one with confirmed tickets, they lounge, they read the newspaper, they walk around, they're snacking, maybe even sleeping. But the ones who are on standby, if you've been on standby, you know what it's like. You are standing near the ticket counter and you're pacing and you walk away and you come back and you interrupt the ground crew trying to find out anything yet, anything yet, and then you're waiting to hear your name announced. You know, the good news of the gospel this morning is that we are not anxiously fretting about whether we will get a ticket and make it on the plane. There is no need for consternation over your reservation. Paul says that it's done. There is no more condemnation. The gospel is good news that our tickets have been issued by our Father. It was purchased by Christ on the cross and it was ratified by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it's not just a ticket to heaven. In case you're wondering, ticket to where? It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's more like joining a rescue crew that we've been recruited. We've been recruited to be on that rescue crew. And so what we're doing now as ticket holders is to go forth and to rescue the perishing. It is to go forth and pick up the refugees and the survivors from the storms of evil. It is to go forth and to tell the story, tell the good news. And we're going to keep doing that until the captain of that flight returns. Our Lord and our Savior Jesus returns to take charge. And while on the plane, my friends, we can be assured of several things. We can be assured of deliverance. We can be assured of knowing that no storm of sin, no, no trickery of man, no wave of wickedness, no typhoon of tragedy can remove us, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Can you say amen to that? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen.